Welcome back to the Strength and Speed Podcast. I'm your host, Conquer the Gauntlet Pro Athlete, Evan Preparis, and joining me, as always, is Brenna Calvert. I'm happy to be here, not as always, but glad to be here for this one, at least. <laughs> well, um, we took a little bit of time off, as always. Uh, we're athletes first, so uh, sometimes the podcasting gets pushed to the back of the uh, queue there for things we have to do. Plus, we've been writing articles, so... I uh, apologize for the short break, but um, hopefully we'll keep it going, keep our streak going a little bit longer. Uh, this episode is brought to you by Marina Sport. Marina Sport makes medical-grade compression clothing, both pants, shirts, and uh, leggings. Uh, I've used them for several races, thought they were really good. I've also wrote an article about them on Mud Run Guide, if you want to go check that out. And it kind of explains the difference between medical-grade compression and just like kind of the standard spandex you'd buy. So essentially medical-grade compression is going to be a little bit tighter. It's going to help with returning of blood flow through your legs um, back to your heart to kind of make you perform at a higher level. Brenna, what are your thoughts on Marina? I actually, I swear by Marina, I've been racing in their gear for about three years now. Ever since I realized that I couldn't wear just regular tight leggings or whatever, I switched to compression and Marina was my go-to. They have awesome solid black. They do some colors for those that like a little pop in their wardrobe while racing. And they've got sleeves, calf sleeves, you name it. Um, great company. You can get logos and things for your teams if you like it, so it's worth checking out Marina. Also, for those of you who know, they were formerly Athletics 8, but now Marina. So if you recognize that name, give them a look on the Internet. They are a great company. And if you head over to the Strength and Speed uh, Facebook or Strength and Speed page uh, under products, under discounts, there's a coupon code there. Or if you head over to the Conquer the Gauntlet Pro Team Facebook page, there's also a coupon code there for, uh, I think it's like 10% off Marina. So check that out. Uh, last episode, we covered a whole bunch of the short races we've been doing over the last couple of months. This episode, we're going to be talking about the longer races, specifically Toughest Mudder. Um, we're going to be covering a little bit of Toughest Mudder Atlanta, Toughest Mudder Philadelphia, uh, kind of go over some things that went wrong, things that went well, lessons learned, and kind of comparing the two. Um, however, it's not just Brenda and I this episode. Uh, joining us is Leah Hensley. Uh, she's a 35-year-old full-time working mother of two. She discovered OCR in 2012 and fell in love with it after her first race. Since then, she's done probably close to about 100 events, from everything from a short course to all the way to the long endurance stuff, including World's Toughest Mudder. Uh, she's known for being on the Battle Corps race team, which we've previously had Jason Rulo on the podcast for, talking about his Neptune shirt. Uh, she joined the, the Battle Corps team in 2015 and is recognizable by her Battle Corps uh, logo apparel and typically dressed in yellow and black. Uh, most recently, she got 25 miles at uh, Toughest Mudder Atlanta, and actually won first place for females at DRX six-hour race at a Dirt Runner in Marcel, Illinois. Other than that, she'll be moving to Atlanta coming up, and uh, look forward to her at future Battlegrounds races and OCRWC and Vegas for World Toughest Mudder. So, Leah, welcome to the podcast. Glad to be here. Glad to have you. So uh, I'd say uh, 
let's jump into it and start talking about uh, Toughest Mudder Atlanta. So, uh, you've done World's Toughest once before in 2016. Um, yep. Why did you decide to do Toughest Atlanta? And then kind of take us through what your thoughts were on, initial thoughts were on the race. Um, well, Tough Mudder itself as, as a brand was kind of what really hooked me into the OCR scene. So I've always had, um, you know, some love and some loyalty to Tough Mudder. And then uh, after doing World's Toughest in Vegas, um, I definitely wanted to do some more Tough Mudder events this year as I hadn't really done that many in, in 16. Um, and then when Tough Mudder announced their new races with Toughest and Tougher, um, it just kind of sparked my interest with something new. I really enjoyed um, World's Toughest, but going with a 24-hour race, I mean, it takes a lot of prep, a lot of training, and then a lot of recovery afterwards. Um, so Toughest definitely... Um, sounded something, you know, definitely interesting to me because it was still some of that endurance multi-lap stuff that I really liked in Vegas, but I didn't think it was going to completely wreck me <laughs> like like Vegas did. And so what yeah, eight hours, 24 hours, a little different. <laughs> right, right. So besides World's Toughest Mudder, what was your longest endurance event going in uh, to World's Toughest or Toughest Mudder? Um, aside from World's Toughest in Vegas, I had also been one of the few that was able to do the BFX 24 um, that Battlefrog had, had had done the one year um, down in Miami, and that was also a 24-hour event. Um, so that was my first attempt in, into the endurance world, and, and I really liked it, and that's what kind of gave me the courage to sign up for Vegas because it was completely different um, conditions and terrain and, and all that. Um, so I figured, eh, I've done two of those. I can do toughest. So I signed up. Right on. So what was your uh, what was your goal going into Toughest Mudder Atlanta, and then how did that go? I mean, in theory, I think anyone who is trying to compete who signs up for a toughest is going in thinking they're going to get the 25 miles. Um, you know, so in my head, I'm like, oh, yeah, five laps, 25 miles, totally doable. Um, but then, you know, kind of as we got closer to the event and I was realizing, well, I got 50 in Vegas and it was, it was a hard push to get those 50. It wasn't easy for me to get all 10 of that, um, in Vegas. And then the realization of, oh, wait a minute, now I've got to get half the laps in a third of the time, you know, kind of messed me up in the head a little bit going into the event. It was kind of you know, overthinking things and, you know, really getting anxious before the event started even, um, you know, worried about what am I doing? Am I going to waste my time? How's this going to go? Um, so I, I definitely had to, to struggle with some of that before the event even started. So for those that don't know, Toughest Mudder, if you get 25 miles, you basically what people are, we're talking about here is contender status, and that's contender for Vegas World's Toughest. And basically, it has different pros to being a contender. So for you, like, what was your reasoning or thought? I mean, are you going in as contender for the money at World's Toughest? Or was there a, another pro or benefit to you becoming a contender for Vegas? Well, I think, you know, the whole contender status, you know, is kind of, you know, everyone's kind of wondering really exactly what does that mean? 
Um, I'm not a money contender for these kinds of things. Um, maybe one day, but right now I'm not at that level. Um, but I know one of the other benefits to the contender status is um, better pit preferential placement and um, start times in the corral. Um, so that kind of drew me, especially with as many people that come to Vegas and with the increased coverage with NBC, with um, CBS, I'm sorry, and, you know, all their, um, you know, people are now hearing more about it and all the increased exposure. So I was like, well, if there's going to be a lot more people there, then, you know, pit placement could mean something. And I don't want to have to, you know, kill myself just even getting to my pit. So that definitely drew me. And, you know, let's face it, I like bling and I like cool stuff. And supposedly there's, you know, cooler bids and cooler stuff or contenders. So, you know, it was definitely something I wanted to do. Very cool. Makes that makes more sense because everybody's kind of wondering, like, what does contender get you or why is everybody going for it? So everybody kind of has a different reason or just the fact that they can say, I'm a contender, whether they really want the pit spot or not. <laughs> right, right. So tell us a little bit about uh, Toughest Mudder Atlanta or South, or South, I guess it was the actual name of it. Um, talk about the kind of like the conditions, the weather and the... Uh, it's kind of your thoughts going into it and how it actually played out on race day. Well, I mean, it was, it's an eight-hour race. It starts at midnight and goes till 8 a.m. So, you know, you're basically racing in the dark the whole time. Um, so that adds a different element of, of planning with, you know, headlamps and, and night gear kind of stuff, um, strobe lights and, and whatnot. Um, the biggest thing as far as preparation goes for these kinds of events in, in getting ready is, is weather. You just don't really know what you're going to be facing. Um, you know, in Vegas, everybody knows, you know, oh, you got to bring a wetsuit. It's going to get cold. You don't want to get hypothermia. You know, prepare for the cold. But going into this different time of year, different terrain, you know, I basically took the approach of I'm just going to bring everything I've got and make a decision. You know, I'd rather have too much than too little. You know, and as we were leading up to the race, I think, Weather reports were calling for thunderstorms and rain, and, you know, there up until the day of the start, it looked like it was going to be pretty nasty. Um, but luckily, that all cleared out, and weather was great. Um, I was, you know, prepared with my um, my Neptune shirt you had mentioned earlier, my teammate had created, and so I, I figured that, you know, if it got too cold, I would need that, but definitely didn't look like we were going to be needing wetsuits or contending with really cold um, temperatures, which is good because I hate the cold. Um, and, I, you know, I, I had this stuff with me, but honestly, I, I never changed once. Uh, the weather stayed pretty pretty nice. I was able to stay warm without having to use my heaters in my shirt or a jacket or anything like that. So, when you get to save time, not having to worry about, you know, wardrobe changes, um, it's a good thing. Any, anything I can do to save time um, and stay on that course and moving is, is going to help me. Yeah. But, so, uh, speaking of time and changes and stuff like that, did you have a game plan going in that you were going to be stopping at your pit every time? Like, did you every lap go into your pit and your bag and – eat and fuel up or what was kind of your game plan going in and then how did that work for you on course so one of my strengths 
in talking with people from Vegas was my really quick pit times. Um, like I said before, I'm not a contender for winning races and podiuming at these kinds of events. So, you know, I need to not waste time. So if I can not pit, then that's what I'm going to choose to do. So it comes down to preparation at that point. So, you know, my teammates and I all went down there and had drastically different game plans. My plan going into it was at most I want to pit one time. Um, I figured if I can bring everything else that I needed with me and just keep moving on the course, even saving two, five, six, however many minutes each lap not going into the pit, it was going to, you know, help me in the long run. So I went into it with the game plan of I'm going to stop one time and reload my pack. Um, I went in with a camelback. Um, I struggle with exercise-induced asthma, so I have to have my inhaler with me all the time. Um, So it's just easier for me to have a pack on me. So I had that. I had my um, my fuel, which I choose um, a product called Interformance uh, by First Form that I've used on these um, longer endurance races that does well with me, um, sits well on my stomach and doesn't make me sick and helps keep away cramps. So I had that in my pack, and then I had my goose and other nutrition, and off I went. Yeah, I think you hit a couple of key points there. One is bring everything and prepare for the worst. So I do the same thing. I bring a giant rolling bag full of gear, and I honestly – Let me emphasize, pick up like a whole table. <laughs> yeah, I honestly don't use any of it ever, but I still bring it every race. Um at Atlanta, I had it with me, literally didn't open it, didn't wear a shirt, was just wearing shorts, the same pair of socks, the same pair of shoes for the full eight hours. Um, and basically, I could have shown up with what I was wearing and a small backpack with my food in it, and I would have been fine. Um, but I still bring everything, right, because you never know. And you never yeah, know, yeah. you know, yeah, over right. over the course of eight hours, you know, just because you're warm at the beginning may not mean you're warm at the end. The temperature drops. Uh, especially if you're a slower runner, uh, as your pace drops, your temperature is going to drop. So uh, some of the more competitive guys um, and girls that can run for a full eight hours, they can uh, often wear less clothing and get away with it, which is something I personally do. Um, but What uh, was the temperature? What did it end up being in Atlanta throughout the night for y'all? Um, I don't know. I mean... I don't think it got below, I mean, maybe upper 50s, lower 60s, what do you say? It wasn't yeah, I cold. Think, I think it was around 60. Yeah, um, it, it wasn't cold. And Arctic Enema was not, like, it wasn't like a thick layer of ice. It was like a couple of cubes floating in there. So <laughs> I went in and I was like, oh, that was refreshing, and came back out and kept yeah, running. It wasn't bad. I Arctic Enema is one of my least favorite obstacles referring back to the fact that I hate being cold, but it actually wasn't too <laughs> I'm waiting until I hear someone say that they like the cold or that they like Arctic in the right. because most people, I just am like, I don't, no one likes the cold, but um, there, there's some people that are crazy enough, and we haven't had them yet, but. <laughs> See, I would say I like the cold not because I like it, but because other people like it less. So if it's cold, <laughs> other people will suffer more than I will, uh, and typically quit earlier. So that's, that's I like say, a good mental strategy right there. <laughs> yeah, 
I, like I would say, I think the worse conditions, the worse the conditions are, the better. As, I, like I won't get as high of mileage, but everyone else will get lower mileage too, and everyone else will get lower mileage at a faster rate than I will. So, like the 2014 windstorm at World's Toughest Mudder, I I just powered through that, and I think a lot of guys who were physically better than me quit uh, because they didn't they didn't want to stay out there. So Evan, how did, oh, I guess Leah, you, so you got, got your 25, you said for contender, but like, did you end up sticking with your plan? Did you not pit as much and you did just one pit and that worked out for you? Played well? Well, lap one went well. Lap two, I, I, I guess I didn't account for some of the obstacles taking as much time as they would. Specifically, the stupid mud mile at Atlanta took forever. It was the longest mud mile. And you just couldn't do it by yourself. I mean, you had to get assistance. So, I mean, it just sucked so much time. So, my splits starting out were slower than I had targeted. So, I I felt like I was playing catch-up almost from the beginning. Um, so, after lap two, I had decided that's it. I'm not pitting at all. Whatever I have on me is what I have on me. And let's re-ration what I've got and make it work. And then lap three is when I started really struggling with um, I going knee pain um, that usually kicks in around 10, 15 miles or so. So my knee started bothering me, and then it became pretty evident towards the end of my third lap that if I didn't stop, that there's no way I would be able to keep that pace up. So... I ran into the pit as quickly as I could um, to just grab some painkillers, which I usually have in my pack on me, but for whatever reason, I just didn't have them that time. So ran into the pit, dumped out pills everywhere, grabbed some ibuprofen, and got back out on the course, realizing at the time, oops, would have been a really good opportunity to refuel and grab more goos and, you know, grab more stuff from my pack, but, you know, I wasn't thinking. I was just kind of starting to enter freakout mode because I knew I had to get my butt moving because now the course had switched to the second loop. Um, Our structure for the Atlanta race was two different loops. So I had completed my third loop on the first course, and I knew at that point we were switching on to the second course, which was going to be a much more difficult course as far as the obstacles that were placed on that one. So I knew I had to get moving quickly if I had a chance at it. Um, And then, as I suspected, lap four took me longer between waiting for the the ibuprofen to kick in, which it finally did, and I was fine at that point. But I had to do more penalty loops on that course because that's where a lot more of the technical obstacles were and ones that I struggle with because of my height that I can't always – do as easily. Um, so by the time I finished lap four, I was totally out of time and, and, and just took off on lap five, not really sure if I was going to make it because, you know, I'm watching my watch and seeing my splits and they were dropping pretty significantly. So it was, it was a push that last lap. It was, it was definitely a struggle. And um, to be honest with you, about a quarter of a mile or so into that loop, a couple of my teammates caught up to me because they knew I was struggling and really helped 
push me through that last lap so that I could get my fifth, my fifth loop, um, which I'm definitely grateful for because it was close. Oh, yay. Le- at least you made it, and the teammates always help. They kind of, like, lift your spirits when you're ready to just call it quits and not make it. <laughs> well, awesome. So, Evan, you – okay, you were in Atlanta, right? And how did your – how did that play out for you? And were you going for – obviously, I'm sure 25 miles is easy for you. So what was your goal going in? Uh, my goal was top 10 finish, uh, which I don't really, I usually don't set a mileage goal until after the first or second lap, um, because a lot of times the terrain and the obstacles will dictate how far you can go in the allotted time. So, example, I've gotten, like, I've won BFX races with four laps, which is like 20 miles, and I've come in third with 35 miles. So, um, a, lot of, a lot of that's course dependent. So I was going for a top 10 finish. Um, took it real easy going out the gate, uh, cause that's what I used to do with BFX and, um, did good. Basically ran fairly even splits the whole time. Uh, actually my last three laps were three of my faster laps of the eight I did. So I got 40 miles and I, w- I was catching people and I finished in 10th place. The, um, car kind of the, and I think there's several other athletes that are like me that fall into this category where. Um, you know, part of our strength is obstacle proficiency, and in an eight-hour race, you only have you have to do the obstacles, you know, eight times essentially, or, or whatever. Uh, yeah, eight times. Let's say if you do forty miles, um, you have to do them eight times. But in a twenty-four-hour race, you have to do the same obstacles, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. You know, however many laps you do um, times, and that really kind of plays more to people who have more upper body strength and it takes the pure ultra runners and it starts, they start losing too much ground. Um, so it's going for top 10. I landed in 10th place. So I was happy with that. Uh, learned some lessons for toughest Philly and, um, yeah, Atlanta was a good time. The, uh, warm weather, uh, fast course. I thought the two loop format was fun. It provided a change of pace in the middle of the race uh, logistically, I thought it was probably a pain in the butt for Tough Mudder, but that's uh, that's their problem, not mine. And <laughs> I think the I did not appreciate personally, like I said, because it plays to my it plays to my strengths. I prefer more obstacle density, and I think other I think you know the average tough. It, so if you only did, let's say you got out there and only did like you know three or four laps, uh, you know if you went out there in L.A. or uh, Philly, I'm sorry, L.A. or Atlanta, you did not hit that many obstacles. So I think that's probably one of the reasons they changed it, where now it's a single five-mile loop with, like, up to 17 obstacles. Um, I'll say between the obstacle density and then maybe they did realize that that whole two-course thing was a pain in the butt. (laughs) They're like, okay, let's see if we can make this easier on ourselves as a company. Yeah, absolutely. But I guess I'm kind of glad because, so, getting towards Philly, I guess, um, was there a reason, Leah, that you picked Atlanta over the others? Was that just, like, scheduling-wise that that one worked for you? Yeah, that one just fit best in my schedule with, with everything else I had going on. And um, I also figured it would be warmer down there than it would up north. So it was another <laughs> draw for me. Nice. Well, that's what I guess getting into Philly – that's kind of that's where I come in a little bit, and I was I wanted to go to Atlanta so bad because anything Atlanta that's what I want to do. I always want to go to those events, 
living there. But um, with Bill's schedule for Conquer the Gauntlet, I was limited to one toughest event that I was available on the weekend. And that wound up being Philly. And it was kind of exciting when I first realized it because I hadn't raced there before. But then it was also nerve-wracking to realize that it was, like, on the northeast and it gets cold up there. <laughs> yep. But wasn't too excited about that one. But um, getting into Philly, for me, I basically have only done one endurance, quote-unquote, event, I'd say. And that was the rat race last year. I did the Dirty Double in the U.K., which wound up being 40 miles. And um, my time, it, I think it took me like 10 hours to do that. So I, race. <laughs> you, you want to do that one? Is that what you said? No, it's definitely a, a bucket race for me. Oh, yeah. It's it's amazing. It needs to be on everybody's list because it was, it was just fun and the obstacles and stuff. But um, after doing that and surviving, I mean, I basically went in there pretty much blind. Like I did it with a team. It was an individual race, but we stuck together to get everybody through it. But um, I – when I survived that and like didn't die and I actually wound up second place female and we lucked out. We actually had decent weather there, but when I finished, I had the like endurance bug and I've been following world's toughest Vegas for a couple of years now. And just like, I'd follow all the live feeds and thought, okay, I'm, I'm going to do this one year. And last year I wanted it to be my year and that didn't happen. So this year when they announced the whole toughest and contender and everything, I was like, all right, my I'm I'm going to Vegas one way or another. I don't care how it happens, but I'm going to be there. And so I picked toughest um, Philly to go for contender. And my reasoning, along with the like the pit status and whatever, I tend to dream big in hopes that you know maybe I can be like top ten or top five female. I know world's toughest they pay out top five, and you know I just aim really high, as stupid as it is, when I sometimes know that it's like. Not attainable. <laughs> that's awesome. But I, that's why I'm like, okay, if I just go for that, then I'll either fail miserably or I'll succeed one way or the other. You have 50 50 chance. <laughs> there you go. But um, I planned and leading into Philly, I, the weather wasn't really scaring me at first. And then I left Atlanta build for Conquer the Gauntlet and I've been in like 85 degree weather outside, sunburn and everything. And take a road trip up to Philly after two weeks of build, and people start posting the weather updates, and it's looking chilly, and they were calling for storms, I think, originally. I don't know. But I'm trying to wrap my head around the fact that I don't have cold gear. I hate cold gear, and I hate the cold. <laughs> so I was just like, I'm, I'm like Evan. Like, I don't like extra stuff on me. I'd rather run with sports run shorts and no hydration pack and no gear just because to me it just it's annoying cumbersome in my opinion from what I'm used to because I'm used to smaller courses so I was thinking okay eight hours you know it's less time than the first endurance event I did so 25 miles I should be able to do that but I actually I wanted that but I had a goal of like 35 it was what I really was shooting for just to kind of up it a little bit and push myself well People start posting on Facebook, and it gets closer and closer, and I'm on the road, and people are starting to say, oh, wetsuits are going to be needed, and everybody, I hope you have your wetsuit, and it's starting to get in my head, like, oh, my gosh, what have I gotten myself into? You know, I packed for about two months on the road, so I made sure I had the only leggings I have, and, like, I had a, my Morena long-sleeve compression shirt, 
And I thought, okay, well, I'll take that just in case, you know, that's the best I have and the best I can do because I wasn't ready to buy a wetsuit for Philly, but I'm planning like Vegas, I'm ready to go with everything and have the gear the right way just because, I mean, that's a whole different ball game in my opinion. And um, I just thought I could get by Philly fine. So get there and sure enough, um, it's turning into shooting for like 40 degree temperatures. They were, you know, saying like lower 50s, upper 40s. And I rode with my boyfriend, Tracy, and I'm just like, the look on my face is like, are you kidding me? What have I gotten myself into? Freak out mode. But still, game plan, same thing. You know, I really couldn't change it at this point. And um, <laughs> I had packed, based off what Evan has told me, and, like, you know, Evan's coaching me through it, messages like, okay, you know, pack your food and fuel per lap in your bag. You know, be ready like that. And his his laughing point that I found funny was, like, if you get cold, just run faster. I'm like, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I can do that, right? <laughs> I I, so, I stand by that I stand by that statement. Well, so on I mean, a serious like so on a serious note that really realistically like the majority of your heat is generated internally from movement. So, uh, I mean, so the, the the catch there is you need to be able to run for close to eight hours. Like if you can't run for eight hours, that's not going to work because you're eventually you'll have to like walk and you'll start getting really cold. Um, so. Exactly. And so, like, you told me that, and I was like, oh, hey, the 40 miles, I I surprised myself without training and ran the whole thing. So, I'm like, I got this. Well, again, with build schedule and just life, I really have not been putting in miles, and that's almost like an understatement. I really don't think I had run, it been about a month since I ran prior to Philly, and then even before that, it was sporadically, like, testing the course four miles here and there. So, for a normal person that's training for these events, I sound like an idiot because I just like, <laughs> haven't been training, haven't been running, and I hear everybody else is like, yeah, I'm getting my miles, I'm getting my miles. I'm like, all right, well, I just tend to be that natural smart slash not smart person that just goes out and wings it. Well, so I did that, and um, get on course, and I've never done night running. I hate headlamps, <laughs> so this is just all stacking up to a really good idea. Um <laughs> Put my headlamp on. It's a totally different experience. If, like to get used to just night running and trusting your feet to not trip over yourself and learning how to run with a headlamp. Like it's 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 a different experience. And that's Leah, why I wanted to do this was for that whole experience. Leah, did you practice any night running beforehand, or had you done any night running before your? I had done a lot of night running in preparation for Vegas. Um, because I had not done it in preparation for Miami, and it was it totally bugged me out running in the middle of the night like that. So Vegas, I did a lot of night ramp running to prep. Um, going into Atlanta, I felt like at that point I kind of had a grip on it. I did a couple night runs, but um, not not a lot, a lot. Well, and that's what. So for those that haven't done night running, I there are pros and cons to it. I literally, when we started out, there were so many people with their lights that I just was like, okay, this headlamp, and it wasn't even my headlamp. Tracy, my boyfriend, gave me a headlamp because I didn't even own one. So here I am, again, not prepared, and <laughs> start running, and I'm like, I'm just going to hold my headlamp because there's so many people around me that I don't necessarily need my own. I'm just going to go off their light. So that worked for a little bit. And then the pro that I found to the night running, this was like my really only benefit that I enjoyed, was like when you're running in the day and you're getting tired of running, you look ahead and you see things in the distance. And you're like, oh my gosh, I'm never getting close to that point. Or it's 
like you pace yourself based off what you're seeing. Well, at nighttime, I couldn't see what was ahead of me, so I just kept running at whatever pace. But so it helped in the sense that like I wasn't looking ahead for mile markers or landmarks. But then it hurt me because I couldn't get the groove of my pace. Like I just I would speed up not meaning to or then slow down not meaning to and it became problematic in that sense that I was kind of like just throwing myself off but I I literally ran without my headlamp on my head for a very long time because it just was annoying and then when the pack started like thinning out I actually had to be like okay suck it up Bruno just put it on and I got used to it but like you said the whole not tripping over things that's just kind of my MO is I face plant easily in the daylight so I was prepared for face planting but luckily I did not but um unfortunately my downfall was I didn't have as many miles as I wanted so take off on the course and I've only done one other Tough Mudder or two Tough Mudders and I, they've been a while sporadically so I don't remember like the obstacles were all new to me which is exciting and nerve-wracking at the same time and I just wasn't prepared in all aspects but um, my first lap, I, you know, they do the sprint lap, which again was new that I didn't realize there were going to be like no obstacles open. So it was straight running. I just kept thinking, oh my gosh, five miles of straight running when I haven't been running at all was miserable. But I was making really good time, really good pace, and I felt awesome at that point. And so I didn't pit out the first lap, and then I went out for my second lap. And again, I was like gaining in um, ranking. I think I was sitting in like seventh or eighth at that point with the ladies. And I knew kind of what girls were there. And I was like, all right, cool, feeling good. And other obstacles getting to um, the stupid, oh, my gosh, when they finally opened Funky Monkey, is that what it's called, right, with the monkey bars and the wheel? Mm-hmm. And they finally opened that. What was the water one right before that, Evan? It Was was that Arctic Enema right before that? It was. It was like 150 meters before that, and there was no place to dry your hands. Yeah, it was stupid. Like, yeah, go through Arctic Enema and then get up to the monkey bars and they finally open them. I'm just like, okay, well, there's there's a twist, literally. So I get through the monkey bars and then I grab on the first wheel. Man, I'm used to Savage Wheel World where it's kind of like a slow spin. Yeah, oh, I went way more stiff than Tough Mudders are. Yeah, I went flying. It just flung me, like, on my side. And I was like, well, all right, here's a, here we go. First, like, obstacles open and I'm already in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> So added some penalty loops. To give people an idea, like I, I made it through. I did 90 miles at World's Toughest and never failed Funky Monkey. At um, what you call it, Toughest Mudder Philly, I failed it three out of six times. So it was. I don't feel so was, bad. <laughs> it was significantly harder, uh, just because. So even like you could dry. Let's say you could dry your hands magically. You know, like um, somehow you kept them dry during Arthianima, which you can't. Uh, but the problem was everyone else before you has gone on that obstacle, and it's just muddy, drenched hands. So like everything was soaked. It was it was definitely a challenge. Yeah, and luckily I don't have too much to tell about because I finished my second lap still in good standing, still in good time, and then um, I decided I think I stopped at the pit after the second real fast. But I knew um, one of the girls was kind of close behind me. I saw her coming into the pit, so. I grabbed fuel. I was, I do, um, and again, I'm like playing with fuel and playing experiments so that when it comes to Vegas, I will have an idea of what works and what doesn't. And this was basically just my like guinea pig trial. So I had, um, honey stinger waffles and, um, their shoes they have, which were awesome, easy to get down. And then, um, 
just water, took in some water, and then went back out real fast. Was feeling good, kind of like eight on the go as I took off. Well, I think I was hitting mile 12 or 13, and for the fact I haven't been training, and I was nervous again. Like, Leah, you have knee issues. I was nervous about my prior injury, but unfortunately that wasn't the issue. But my um, hip flexor on my left side, and, like, the terrain at Philly, it wasn't necessarily up and down hills. I mean, there were, but not bad. But I felt like a lot of the terrain was that side angle where you're constantly on a hill, but you're sideways. It jacks your ankles up. Yeah, the ankles and the hip flexor. So it was just like my left leg was constantly under pressure. And I felt like at one point or another, my hip flexor was just on fire. And I felt like I was blowing out my hip flexor. And I, I, I pushed for a little bit. And then at that point, I'm like, okay, I have two weeks of solid build coming up in three days that I have to be functioning for. And I can't be injured the rest of the season like my other injuries have been. So I start thinking, all right, walk it out, push through, just shake it off, and I'll be okay. Well, I started walking, and it wasn't getting any better. So I'm, like, literally dragging my leg as I'm going. And at that point, I was in a legendborn sleeveless jersey and my Morena long leggings. Um, and cold wasn't an issue until then. So I'm here I am walking and dragging my leg. And I finally start getting cold. And I've never really had an issue with, like, body temperature during the cold. I mean, I don't like the cold weather, but I've never been hypothermic. I pack a little more padding than some others. <laughs> so that, that benefits me. And um, at this point, I was walking, and I think I had to do every penalty loop. Things were hurting, and I started shivering. And I was literally walking with my arms, like, tucked in, trying to, like, rub my arms and warm back up. And people as they were passing me I kept getting that are you okay do you need help and I'm like oh geez because I have a really high pain tolerance so when people start noticing that I'm looking miserable that's what started worrying me it was like oh like every person that passes me is asking if I'm okay and um, all the obstacle attendants kept checking on me but I kept pushing and then I um, was going and at what I've heard from others that have instructed me when you are becoming hypothermic you basically stop shivering so I got to the point where I think it was operation had finally opened, which is their, I guess they're like one of their zapping ones. Because we I didn't love have that obstacle. Oh, well, I wanted to do it because I've never done it, but they, they didn't have, what's the other shocking Tough Mudder? See, I'm new to Tough Mudder obstacles. The, Therapy. Yeah, so that one wasn't in the course, which I was so excited about. But then I hear operation is, and it finally opened up, and I had – kept going through obstacles and doing penalty loops and I get to operation at this point I am miserable I cried on the course somewhere because I was like in the dark by myself and no one was around me <laughs> I just kept thinking like my boyfriend was going to catch up to me and get me through to the finish line and I just wanted to cross the finish line I didn't want to be pulled off course for a medic reason and um get to operation and I just I saw the penalty loop but I, apparently it was one of the shorter penalty loops which I did not know and I knew I wasn't going to get through it. And I told the obstacle attendant, I was like, I, I can't do the penalty loop. I couldn't add any more mileage. I was about to be crawling. So she calls in on the radio to medic a DQ, reads my number. And at that point, I'm just like, oh, no, it's over and done. And I walked to the finish, past operation, didn't even get to do it. And um, I was happy and proud that I crossed the finish line without, like, a cart dragging me across. But I wound up only, I think I was like 16-something miles because of penalty loops. 
And when I crossed the finish line, my boyfriend had had a feeling because we were leaving notes during our pit, like what time we were there so he could tell where I was. And um, he waited an hour in the pit after his second lap because he had a feeling something was wrong. He was watching my split times and they were really good. And I was in like sixth place at one point or another. And then the times just started dropping like exponentially getting really, really slow. So he started realizing something was wrong. And as soon as I crossed the finish line, he had started to head backwards on course to find me. And I let go at that point. I couldn't walk any longer. He was dragging and carrying me to the pit to take my clothes off. I told him that I was about to be hypothermic. And he grabs me. He's like, yep, your core temperature has dropped. Like, you're cold. And so I, I kind of, like, almost blacked out at one point while he was tending to me. So, unfortunately, that was my toughest experience. I did not get contender status. It was my only chance to get contender status. And I learned a lot. Like like y'all said, go prepared with everything and prepare for the worst, especially if you've never done it. Like, be prepared to add clothing or something or have it and don't be like me. Train. So, I realized that my lack of training and my lack of preparation were my downfall, which I knew that if I had a downfall, that was going to be it. Um, but I learned that I do like night running and I can deal with the headlamp. So I sucked that up and, um, now I've got more goals of trying to fix all of that and get a wetsuit and everything for Vegas. <laughs> I but, think you've done something else that's kind of a different experience when you start doing these longer runs and it's, it's the head game of it all. And it's the thought that, you know, trying to, trying to deal with all the thoughts that are in your head when you're just doing like a five mile run or a 5K or whatever, you know, it starts and it's done, you know, an hour you're out there, you're done. There's not a lot of time to think and process things. But when you're on a course and I'm doing a lot of it by yourself, in the dark, alone, you know, your your mind starts wandering and you start, you know, one little tiny seed of doubt just blooms into, you know, the biggest catastrophe ever. And, you know, training that part of, of your body, you know, going into these things, at least for me, has been much just as valuable as training my body, my physical body for the running part. Yeah, well, and that's what the other thing that amazed me was I've done races all across the country, but this was kind of my first time headed like northeast or what I would, I guess that's northeast. <laughs> and um, it was the first race that I didn't really know people at the event. Like I, the first lap I ran with um, one person that I knew and chatted along the way. And then the rest of the time there weren't people talking to me and mm-hmm. chatting, being friendly that I knew. I mean, of course everybody was awesome and the volunteers were great and everybody was very friendly, but it, they weren't personal connections I had. Mm-hmm. So like I kept thinking there will be no time that I'm alone or won't know someone on the course. There's so many people, but sure enough, like I said, I got left in the dark where there was no one around and I didn't know anybody. And that head game set in like I'm done for, I want to quit and there's no one around me to put me up and keep me going. And I just couldn't believe that had happened. Like, I just was like, Oh my gosh, no one came by at that point. Like no one was there to keep pushing me. Like you said, your last lap, your team found you. Well, that's what the head game set in. And at that point I was already so past normal pain that I was, I said, okay, I'm, I'm done. You know, I pretty much counted myself out then and kept trying to go and just really couldn't. And, um, that's absolutely correct. Uh, ultra, ultra sports, ultra OCR is all, I mean, so it's, it's largely mental. 
you know, where where your brain is telling your body to go, your body will follow. Um, yeah. I know I've I've beaten some. I've beaten some guys who are definitely in better shape than me uh, at World's Toughest Mudder because, I mean, I, I would guess because my mental game was stronger than theirs for that, those type of events. Um, so you got to keep your head in the game and um, typically try to find something positive in a, every situation. So a lot of times I'll break the race down into sections and be like, all right, I just want to finish, you know, two lap, two more laps before the cliff opens or... You know, I want to finish, you know, one more lap before the sun comes up or stuff like that. It's just any, anything you can do to, like, mentally dissect the race into sections versus if you go out there thinking, all right, I'm starting and I have to run for eight hours, I have to run for another 23 hours, it becomes – it's a it's a daunting task that uh, is hard to swallow. So. Well, I, I was actually glad, Evan, you were the, probably the only other person that I saw when you, you passed me at one point at that little, like – uphill and then the little wall log wall and you asked how I was going at that point I was already done and counting myself out but I didn't tell you that I was just like oh I'm, I'm all right <laughs> and you just kept trucking along and I could tell that you were like getting in the zone you're picking up pace and that's what I've learned about you like when it gets to halfway I think when I finally got my wits about me in the pit and your dad was there and I realized what time it was and it was halfway he was like yep he's in churn mode he's knocking people like ranking going up in the line and I'm just thinking like, yep, here he goes. He's turning it into high gear and just picking people off left and right at that point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I I mean, I – what's funny is, like, the race is eight hours, which is super long. That's, like, a right for, like, the average person. That's a really long race. And I finish, and I'm like, damn, I wish the race was just another hour. Like, <laughs> I, was, I was catching people, you know? It's like – so it's kind of funny. Um, so I went into this race, again, I was planning for a top ten finish, and – so a week before the, and I was planning on having like my toughest mutters be kind of like my B races. So not really doing like a small taper, but not really a big taper and like a peak for them. Um, so a week before the race, I get contacted by CBS Sports and they're like, hey, we, uh, we heard you're one of the contenders for the race. We want to interview. And I was like, all right. And now it's an A race. <laughs> so right. So they like interviewed me for 45 minutes, uh, the day before the race, um, and uh, I thought I gave them some good content. Hopefully they'll use a, a soundbite or two on the actual broadcast. It should be on – actually, I heard it's supposed to be on CBS now, not CBS Sports, sometime this oh. summer. Did um, you wear Conquer the Gauntlet gear? <laughs> no. That's, that's a good, so they told me to wear, like, a plain shirt uh, with nothing else on it. So <laughs> no CTG gear. Uh, and I didn't want to – on TV. Yeah. I didn't want to press my luck, right? Like, if you're – Ryan Atkins, and you know you're going to win every time, like, you can probably wear whatever the hell you want. Um, I felt I felt pretty honored just to be interviewed, so I was like, let me let me follow the rules and be a good boy, and maybe they'll maybe they'll use some of my uh, footage. Back again. <laughs> I guess. Get on TV, fine. <laughs> so, anyway, so I got out there, and I was like, all right, I'm putting it all in uh, this race. Uh, started out faster than I did in uh, Atlanta to try to push the pace. And then just kind of held my pace, and like you said, I generally pick up. It looks like I'm picking up pace, but what's really happening is everyone else is slowing down, and I'm not slowing down. That's what's really happening. But uh, actually, wasn't yeah. your like fifth lap or something close to your first lap? I mean, you your pace it happens sometimes. <laughs> Superhuman. I've looked at Evan's splits, and like, it doesn't matter if it's an eight hour or a twenty four hour. Like, 
your splits are pretty darn near close the entire race, which I definitely think is is a huge advantage as everybody else starts slowing down. You're just motoring along. Yeah. Uh, well, that's what Tracy was watching the splits and said, like, when I finally, again, was alive and coherent, he's like, yeah, dude, Evan's times right now, like, it's just it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, and then as the race gets closer, I mean, I push, I start, push, I start cl- running closer to that red line where it's like, all right, I can, I can touch the red line now and. If I blow up, it's okay because I only have, you know, an hour left or something. Well, speaking so. of the red line at the end, wasn't your last lap pretty close to, like, the end? I mean, did you – you kind of had to push it, I think, right, for that last lap to get in before the, like, cutoff? Um, a little bit. I knew I was – again, I knew I was fairly consistent split, so I wasn't really worried about the cutoff. Uh, I was trying to catch fifth and sixth uh, who were ahead of me. And I end up finishing. I ended up finishing in seventh, and I was two minutes behind fifth, which was a little bit heartbreaking. Like I crossed the that line and close. I crossed the line and laid down, and I was I just kind of laid there for a couple minutes. <laughs> so, um, yeah, because with the CVS thing, like I was like, all right, I'm I'm going all in on this one. And uh, like I said, if it was again, if, ironically, if it's a longer race with more obstacles, uh, the better I'm going to do. So. But it was cold. Uh, I went shirtless for the first 20 miles. Um, other people were in wetsuits, and I was still shirtless. And, again, people were like, well, how can you – physically, how can you do that? And two reasons, right? One, I'm running the whole time, so I'm generating heat. Uh, well, a couple of reasons. Two, I'm not wearing wet clothes, so when I get out – so while you're in the water obstacle, it's, it's very unpleasant. But when you get out, you actually dry. So when I hit the next hospital – my upper body is dry uh, versus other people wearing a wet shirt, which is still sucking heat out of them. Um, and then three, what was three? Um, I can't remember where I was going with that. Well, so after, because you're out of the, all of us on this conversation, you did both. Do you have, I mean, did you have a, other than obviously you placed better in Philly, did you like one over the other? Or again, with the format being different, was one suited to you better or more preferential or anything like that? I mean, I thought the format of uh, Atlanta was funner, like the two different loops, because it kind of kept things fresh and changed it up mid-race. Uh, I like Atlanta better because... I mean, I'm sorry. I like Philly better because there was more obstacles. So uh, it kind of keeps your mind more engaged. And again, for me, I'm better at the obstacles, so uh, it tires out my competition more than it tires out me. Yeah, um, well, and that's what, after doing all them and hearing some of the feedback now... I don't feel too bad. I mean, I know it sucked for me, and I hated it, and I hate the fact that I didn't meet any of my goals, and I don't have a chance to, like, get that contender status since I can't make it to Chicago. But I've definitely seen all the feedback where Philly was the toughest and hardest one of the toughest, and more people dropped and DNF'd and didn't finish out of all of them. And I was like, all right, well, that, I mean, at least it wasn't just me crapping <laughs> out there. <laughs> like everybody else had a hard time too. So it kind of made me smile again and feel a little bit better that it wasn't just like I completely failed myself. It was a little the elements and the cold and everything played into it. So, but well, I, I do have a lot. I have a lot to work on for sure. Well, and you definitely learn some some things for Vegas because I mean that's a totally different animal altogether, you know, so having that experience of learning from that, I think it's definitely going to benefit you if that's your end game anyway, that's going to, you know, you'll learn from that. And that was the ultimate goal. I mean, obviously I wanted to do well for myself, but the ultimate goal is to prepare and know 
if I'm going to hate Vegas, and that's what I complained that I really hated. Like, I had no idea that Tough Mudder, I would be wet the entire time, regardless of failing an obstacle. <laughs> like, most short courses, you don't have to get wet unless you fail an obstacle because you drop in the water or, you know, there might be like a mud crawl or a swim, but by the end of it, you're dry again unless you mess up. And so I was drenched, dripping wet from head to toe the entire time. And Tracy tells me, he's like, well, Vegas is going to be just like that, if not worse. And I'm like, yeah, but Vegas, I plan to have a wet. The thing that surprised me about Vegas was just how wet for how long we stayed because there's so many obstacles, never mind the penalty part of it. Like, yeah, if you fail, then you get wet. But they have so many other obstacles that are just, you're going to get wet no matter what, like rolling dice or block nest monster, whatever they call it. And, you know, Arctic Enema, they have just built in where you're just getting wet a lot. Yeah. So that was, again, lots of learning and glad, glad I now know, but for Vegas, like that was my joke. I was like, for Vegas, I'm going to have the gear. I just wasn't expecting it to suck so bad. <laughs> so before we before we take off, let's touch on, definitely got a lot of good lessons learned out of that uh, as far as bringing the right gear and making sure you obviously you, you train and then practice some of the things that are going to be more unusual, such like running with, um, running with a headlamp or, you know, practice. If you're not used to that, um, practicing that type of stuff. Uh, but also, before we take off, Leah, you recently did uh, DRX, or actually, I'm sorry, it was um, Dirt Runners Midwest Mayhem, a six-hour race. Uh, yeah. So sim- similar format, right? Uh, about a five, just under five-mile loop, a lot more obstacles, about 60 obstacles at the permanent OCR facility called Dirt Runner just outside Chicago. Mm-hmm. So give us a kind of a quick rundown of your thoughts on that, you know, how they, how they compare to... Tough mutter or toughest mutter and um, yeah. That was, I mean, it was a brutal course. Um, you know, having done a couple of these different events, you know, typically it's about five mile loop. So I mean, that was standard. Um, what made the dirt runner course much more different was how dense the obstacles were. There were so I many. You said sixty plus, I think, is what they what they said, and there was anything from multiple back-to-back really heavy carries, a lot of grip strength obstacles, like just back-to-back-to-back for that second mile. So, um, you know, going into that one, I had just done Atlanta, got the five five loops, thinking, okay, well, you know, I didn't really know, you know, what to set as far as my goal went. Like you said, you know, sometimes you just have to go in and see how the first lap or so goes. Um, and then after that first brutal lap with some really heavy stuff, it became pretty clear that, you know, I wasn't getting five. I was just going to keep going and, um, you know, see what happened. And, um, you know, it went well for me. There there wasn't that many um, – there weren't that many girls at all, and there really weren't – you know, it was a smaller race. Um, so my focus at that point just became, you know, like I touched on earlier, was working on – that head game for me because if I let myself think too much, then I get totally just twisted up backwards in my head. So I really try to embrace, you know, one obstacle at a time, one step at a time, one mile at a time. And um, it it worked out really well. I was able to get three laps. um, And then I won uh, first place for females. And I believe final standings was fourth place overall with, the guys included, so 
Um, and here you were saying a few minutes ago, a few minutes ago in the podcast, you, you, you don't win these things, and you're not up there on the podium. <laughs>
well, I'm pretty sure I'm in first. I'm waiting for official results, but everybody else behind me has quit, so <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you. I wouldn't have done any more than I would have had to do. <laughs> yeah, I was real happy. The guy in second stopped at 10 laps, uh, which the owner the owner said that, you know, for, in order to get the – they had this, like, golden dragon head uh, statue thing. He's like, in order to get the dragon head, you have to do at least 10 laps. So the guy in second stopped at 10. Uh, the guy in third, I think was at like eight, seven or eight or something. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, if he's done at 10, I'm, I'm stopping. I can't get your dragon head. So I, I finished, I, I did one more just so I had a buffer in case he got antsy after a couple hours and decided to run back out. Uh, but yeah, I think I ran for like 20 hours probably. So. Nice. Well, congrats to both of y'all on that finish. Sounds amazing. But, um, I guess that kind of wraps up some of those longer events that we've done now that we got to talk about short ones and long ones thrown in there. Yep, no, and, um, yeah, do we have any, I guess, before we wrap up officially in this episode, any shout-outs, anything you want to give some props or credit to? I know you talk about the team helping you and all oh, yeah, that. I, I definitely attribute achieving my goal in Atlanta to, to my teammates, Jason and Scott. You know, had they not been out there, really pushing me along that would have been a struggle um and then it was reaffirmed again this past weekend at drx you know going for that last lap again alone and you know kind of pushing through having that moral support my teammate chris was there on on that last lap you know kind of motivating me along too so i mean that goes a long way you know the moral support definitely so shout out to my battle core boys awesome oh Brett, you Brenna, you go first. I'm still thinking. Oh, okay. Well, me being on the road and long hours, I want to give a little shout out to Black Rifle Coffee Company. I'm a coffee addict and travel with that coffee in hand with my Keurig that I use in my hotel rooms because I'm that much of a nerd while I'm on the road for two months. But um, they have amazing different blends and actually, pardon my language, the one I love is CAS, or caffeinated as fuck. And it is so good. It's a strong coffee, but I don't use cream with it. It's amazing. So check out, if you're a coffee, caffeine person, Black Rifle Coffee Company is amazing. And they're a veteran-owned company. So mm-hmm. big fan of them. Yes, shout out to that. Uh, other than that, um, I need to start preparing this stuff ahead of time. So <laughs> this, is like, this is like the third time we've done this, and I'm like, uh, I, got, I got nothing here. Um, I'm just going to give a shout out to my wife, uh, who's never listens to the podcast, uh, but I always say I talk about her, and I occasionally, I, she occasionally comes up. Uh, we're about to head to once for uh, that 24-hour dirt runner. She took care of our two-year-old daughter. Yeah, Matt, while trying your wife for that. Your daughter was so, <laughs> and she was so good just hanging out in the tent, and, you know, they're, they, they're just hanging out while you were out there being a badass. So I uh, definitely got to give her a lot of credit for that. Uh, she took care of both of us for the race, um, uh, and, and the my dry rub definitely came in key afterwards. As uh, so, I was trying to I, I hung it up like a shower curtain because they they had the showers over there, and I, I, like I'm 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 like all right, I'm just gonna strip down real quick, you know, basically my ass is to the woods, so no one's gonna see it, right? Was this after and you already t- showed it to the world anyway? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's another story. Uh, you can check my Facebook page, the live video from Jay Flores, if you want to see my uh, pants rip on camera live. Um, oh man, how do I? I gotta check that out. <laughs> um, so anyway, so I go to I go to change. I drop my my pants, and I'm 
I'm standing there naked, right? And, uh, I got the dry rub blocking the crowd. And every time I go to bend over, like at the waist, to put on my pants, my abs start cramping. And, like, I can't, I can't bend over. So, like, I swear I was there for probably, like, three or four minutes just, like, standing around naked, being, like, bending over. And I'd be like, oh, no, no, no. Let's go back to standing up straight. So, uh, that was awkward. Major props to Amy and the dry room. <laughs> so, that's about it. Um, I think we're going to take off, and uh, hopefully we will see you or hear you, whatever, next week. Thanks for joining us, Leah. Appreciate it. Having me. Yeah,